CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Pacific Northwest, the city of Seattle, this is Obscure, Season 4 in American Tragedy. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, international man of misery, traveling the rails, you know, riding the rails like Johnny Cash and any old hobo, as we take our traveling little state sketch group from all across this great nation of ours. And uh, this will be the last show, this show in Seattle, for a few months anyway. We will return in April, but for a few months, we are going on hiatus, which, you know, fine with me. It's uh, always great to be with my friends, but gee whiz, I get tired bopping around this nation. It's exhausting. Being the pack-a-deck age that I am, pack a deck that doesn't make sense deck of cards age that i am 52 deck of cards yeah so we're here for i'm here for one one day and then i go to des moines in iowa for a few days and then i get to go home to old savannah and you know looking forward to that i like being home end of the year is coming you know we're rapidly galloping into December, this is of 2023 as I record, who knows what unseen horrors are heading my way or the way of the world, but right now we're galloping towards the end of the year. Everything gets a little quiet this time of year. I will get quiet as well as I hibernate in Savannah waiting for the holidays to come, the holidays to go. It is, let us say, my least favorite time of the year. I really don't like the holiday season for all the reasons I dislike Christmas, which are myriad. Now that's just not some cantankerous Jew talking. It's just too much. The whole holiday season is too much. It's just a burden. And, you know, all the shopping. I hate, you know, I'm just not, I'm not a fan of the consumerist Christmas. So sue me. 
And look, no original thought in my head when I complain about it. I don't claim to be any kind of free thinker on this subject, but I hate it. And all the people who get all warm and excited about Christmas, well, they can go right to hell. Consumerism, that's the problem that we're, we're talking about here in American tragedy. You know, we're just a dystopian nightscape of high finance, cheap products, exploitation, and ruin. Am I overstating it? Perhaps. But these are, perhaps, the thoughts going through Clyde Griffith's head as he considers that he may have been taken for a ride by Hortense Briggs. She's interested in this fur coat. He feels like maybe he was led by the nose right to it. She's sitting there, ooing and eyeing and pirouetting in front of the window, Rubenstein looking out. The conspiracy, perhaps, going to work that he cooked up with Hortense. Except that Clyde, for the first time, feels that he may be used. It chilled and almost numbed him at first when it occurred to him. And that's where we left it last time. So let's pick it up. Chapter 15, An American Tragedy. And yet, as he now told himself sadly, if Hortense wanted it, she could most certainly find someone who would get it for her, meaning the coat. That young Tom Carey, for instance, whom she had just been describing, and worse luck, she was just that kind of girl. And if he could not get it for her, someone else could, and she would despise him for not being able to do such things for her. Well, okay, so now we're hitting a kind of logic gap here. He's saying, Clyde is saying, well, if I don't do it, somebody else will do it, and she'll despise me if I don't. But, but Clyde, my man, this is not the kind of person whose opinion you should care that very much about. She's a user, an abuser, perhaps one day a boozer. And here you are, being willing to risk all that for what? For what? To his intense dismay and dissatisfaction, she exclaimed, Oh, what I wouldn't give for a coat like that. She had not intended at the moment to put the matter so bluntly, for she wanted to convey the thought that was deepest in her mind to Clyde tactfully. And Clyde, inexperienced as he was, and not subtle by any means, was nevertheless quite able to gather the meaning of that. It meant, it meant, for the moment he was not quite willing to formulate to himself what it did mean. And now, now, if only he had the price of that coat, he could feel that she was thinking of someone Someone certain way, someone certain way. I think that's a typo. It should say un, some uncertain way to get the coat. And yet, how was he to manage it? How? If he could only arrange to get this coat for her, if he could only promise her that he would get it for her by a certain date, say, if it didn't cost too much, then what? Did he have the courage to suggest to her tonight or tomorrow, say? after he had learned the price of the coat, that if she would, why then, why then, well, he would get her the coat or anything else she really wanted. 
Only he must be sure that she was not really fooling him as she was always doing in smaller ways. He wouldn't stand for getting her the coat, and then she got nothing in return, never. Okay, so Clyde, in his despair, at least understands the contours of the deal she is offering. Buy me the coat, and I'm yours, Clyde. A little unclear in my mind if that act, the sexual congress to which he will feel entitled, that seems to be the fair trade. Now, it is unclear to me whether that act means that they will then thereafter be together or if it's a solitary act, no more than a little bit of commerce. Unclear to me. I guess we'll have to read on to find out, but it seems to me that it's a one-time offer. I could be wrong. As he thought of it, he actually thrilled and trembled beside her. And she, standing there and looking at the coat, was thinking that unless he had sense enough now to get her this thing and to get what she meant, how she intended to pay for it, well then, this was the last. <laughs> He need not think she was going to fool around with anyone who couldn't or wouldn't do that much for her. Never. Well, at least she has standards. It is that old Churchillian joke, Madam, would you sleep with me for a dollar? What? Are you out of your mind? Madam, would you sleep with me for $10,000? And she says, uh, yes. And he goes, what about a dollar? She goes, oh, what do you think I am? And he says, well... We've already determined what you are. Now we're just negotiating the price. So that's, uh, you've probably heard that joke a million times. And, but, you know, so what? Ah, you don't know what they might want for that, do you? He asked nervously, at the same time thinking if he made any cash gift to her at this time, without some guarantee on her part, what right would he have to expect anything more in return? than he had ever received. He knew how she cajoled him into getting things for her and then would not even let him kiss her. He flushed and churned a little internally with resentment at the thought of how she seemed to feel that she could play fast and loose with him. Well, fast and loose is exactly how she's playing, Clyde. Get it through your thick head. And yet, as he now recalled, she had just said she would do anything for anyone who would get that coat for her, or nearly that. No, she hesitated at first, for the moment troubled as to whether to give the exact price or something higher. For if she asked for time, Mr. Rubenstein might want more, and yet if she said much more, Clyde might not want to help her. But I, I know it wouldn't be more than a hundred and twenty-five. I couldn't pay more than that for it. Clyde heaved a sigh of relief. After all, it wasn't two or three hundred. He began to think now that if she could arrange to make any reasonable down payment, say fifty or sixty dollars, he might manage to bring it together within the next two or three weeks anyhow. But if the whole hundred and twenty-five were demanded at once, Hortense would have to wait. And besides he would have to know whether he was to be rewarded or not. Definitely. Well, that's a good idea, Hortense, he exclaimed, without, however, indicating in any way why it appealed to him so much. 
well, why don't you do that? Why don't you find out first what they want for it and how much they want down? Maybe I could help you with it. Oh, won't that be just too wonderful? Hortense clapped her hands. Oh, will you? Oh, won't that just be dandy? <laughs> now I just know I can get that coat. I just know they'll let me have it if I talk to them, right? She was, as Clyde saw and feared, quite forgetting the fact that he was the one who was making the coat possible, and now it would be just as, she, as he thought. The fact that he was paying for it would be taken for granted. Well, Clyde, better speak up now or forever hold your peace, my man. Better Sam get a little one of something little in return. Ha-cha-cha-cha. A moment later, observing his glum face, she added, Oh, aren't you the sweetest, dearest thing to help me in this way? You just bet. I won't forget this either. You just wait and see. You won't be sorry. Now, you just wait. Her eyes fairly snapped with gaiety and even generosity toward him. He might be easy and young, but he wasn't mean, and she would reward him too, she now decided. Just as soon as she got the coat, which must be in a week or two at the latest, she was going to be very nice to him, do something for him, and to emphasize her own thoughts and convey to him what she really meant, she allowed her eyes to grow soft and swimming and to dwell on him promisingly, a bit of romantic acting which caused him to become weak and nervous. The gusto of her favor frightened him even for a little, for it suggested, as he fancied, a disturbing vitality which he might not be able to match. Oh, oh my. He thinks I'm not going to be able to keep up with this gal, this little bucking bronco, whom I think I just saddled. Yes, you did. You saddled her with a debt, my friend. But it's a debt, as she says, she intends to repay. Okay, so he might become the gusto. He might not be able to match that vitality. He felt a little weak before her now, a little cowardly, in the face of what he assumed her real affection might. Nevertheless, he now announced that if the coat did not cost more than $125, that sum to be broken into one payment of $25 down and two additional sums of $50 each, he could manage it. And she, on her part, replied that she was going the very next day to see about it. Mr. Rubenstein might be induced to let her have it at once on the payment of $25 down. If not that, then at the end of the second week, nearly all would be paid. And then in real gratitude to Clyde, she whispered to him, coming out of the restaurant and purring like a cat, that she would never forget this, and that he would see, and that she would wear it for him the very first time. If he were not working, they might go somewhere to dinner, or if not, that she would have it surely in time for the day of the proposed automobile, which he, or rather Hegland, had suggested for the following Sunday, but which might be postponed. She suggested that they go to a certain dance hall, and there she clung to him in the dances in a suggestive way, and afterwards hinted of a mood which made Clyde a little quivery and erratic. He finally went home, dreaming of the day, satisfied that he would have no trouble in bringing together the first payment, if it were so much as fifty even. For now, under the spur of this promise, 
he proposed to borrow as much as 25 from either Radderer or Hegland and to re repay it after the coat was paid for. But ah, the beautiful Hortense, the charm of her, the enormous, overpowering, weakening delight. And to think that at last and soon she was to be his, it was plainly of such stuff as dreams are made of, the unbelievable become real. Oh, well, I'm swimming and swooning myself now with all this erotica. My goodness. My skin is all goose pimpled. Oh, why don't we take a little break? We'll, we'll go cool off, you know, with all the, uh, the electric charge in the air after this deal with the devil they have both co-signed. Back in a moment, here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Back on Obscure, Clyde and Hortense conducting the basest sort of commerce. The oldest profession being reborn for a new generation. But, you know, who's to say? Maybe love can spring from such circumstances, although I doubt it. But we won't know unless we continue to read, so why don't we? Picking it up now with Chapter 16... In American Tragedy, true to her promise, the following day Hortense returned to Mr. Rubenstein, and with all the cunning of her nature placed before him, with many reservations, the nature of the dilemma which confronted her. Could she, by any chance, have the coat for $115 on an easy payment plan? Mr. Rubenstein's head forthwith began to wag a solemn negative, this was not an easy payment store, 
If he wanted to do business that way, he could charge 200 for the coat and easily get it. But I could pay as much as $50 when I took the coat, argued Hortense. Very good, but who is to guarantee that I can get the other 65 and when? Next week, 25, and the week after that, 25, and the next week after that, 15. Of course, but supposing the next day after you take the coat, an automobile runs you down and kills you, then what? How do I get my money? Now that was a poser, and there was really no way that she could prove that anyone would pay for the coat. And before that, there would have to be all the bother of making out a contract and getting some really responsible person, a banker, say, to endorse it. No, no, this was not an easy payment house. This was a cash house. That was why the coat was offered to her at 115, but not a dollar less. Not a dollar. Mr. Rubenstein sighed and talked on, and finally Hortense asked him if she could give him $75 cash in hand, the other 40 to be paid in one week's time, would he let her have the coat then to take home with her? Well, where's she going to get $75? Hortense, where do you think you're going to get $75 all scraped up? You think Clyde has $75? He can barely get his hands on 50. He's got to ask Hegland and Ratterer for 25. Soon he's going to be taking out lounges all over town. Just to get down into your bloomers, Hortense, I don't care for this at all. I really don't. But a week. What is a week, then? Argued Mr. Rubenstein. If you can bring me 75 next week or tomorrow, and 40 more in another week or 10 days, why not wait a week and bring the whole 115? Then the coat is yours and no bother. Leave the coat. Come back tomorrow and pay me 25 or $30 on account, and I take the coat out of the window and lock it up for you. No one can even see it then. In another week, bring me the balance, or in two weeks, then it is yours. Mr. Rubenstein explained the process as though it were a difficult matter to grasp. But the argument, once, mo once made, was sound enough. It really left Hortense little to argue about. At the same time, it reduced her spirit not a little. To think of not being able to take it now, and yet... Once out of the place, her vigor revived, for after all, the time fixed would soon pass, and if Clyde performed his part of the agreement promptly, the coat would be hers. The important thing now was to make him give her her twenty-five or thirty dollars wherewith to bind this wonderful agreement. Only now, because of the fact that she felt that she needed a new hat to go with the coat, she decided to say that it cost one hundred and twenty-five instead of 115. Well, that's smart, Hortense. I mean, why get for 115 what you can get for 125? I mean, again, this is just simple dollars and cents. These are just, this is just accounting people. And for all of you to get bent out of shape because Hortense Briggs is a better accountant than you, well, I don't know what to say to that. Don't hate the player, as they say on the schoolyards all across this nation hate the game she's just playing the game yo and once this conclusion was put before clyde he saw it as a very reasonable arrangement all things considered quite a respite from the feeling of strain that had settled upon him after his last conversation with hortense for after all he had not seen how he was to raise more than 35 dollars this first week anyhow 
The following week would be somewhat easier, for then, as he told himself, he proposed to borrow twenty or twenty-five from Radrer if he could, which joined with the twenty or twenty-five which his tips would bring him would be quite sufficient to meet the second payment. The week following, he proposed to borrow at least ten or fifteen from Hagland, maybe more, and if that did not make up the required amount to pawn his watch for fifteen dollars, the watch he had bought for himself a few months before. It ought to bring that at least. It could cost, it cost fifty. Wow. Wow. Wouldn't it be cheaper just to go to a whore? I mean, I'm not trying to be crass, but I mean it. Is Hortense really worth all this? Pawning your watches and borrowing money from your friends? For a night in the sack with Hortense Briggs when you could do so much better, Clyde. You're a real go-getter, kid. I mean, Hortense is too, obviously, but I feel like she's getting the better end of the deal here. But he now thought there was Esther in her wretched room awaiting the most unhappy result of her one romance. How was she to make out, he asked himself, even in the face of the fact that he feared to be included in the financial problem which Esther, as well as the family, presented. His father was not now and never had been of any real financial service to his mother, and yet, if the problem were on this account to be shifted to him, how would he make out? Why need his father always peddle clocks and rugs and preach on the streets? Why couldn't his mother and father give up the mission idea anyhow? Yeah, why couldn't they? God, what are they really doing? What are you guys even doing? Saving souls, you think. Well, come on. Save yourselves first. You got a daughter who's in a place. Save her. But as he knew, the situation was not to be solved without his aid. And the proof of it came toward the end of the second week of his arrangement with Hortense when, with fifty dollars in his pocket, which he was planning to turn over to her on the following Sunday, his mother, looking into his bedroom where he was dressing, said, I'd like to see you for a minute, Clyde, before you go out. He noted she was very grave as she said this. As a matter of fact, for several days past, he had been sensing that she was undergoing a strain of some kind. At the same time, he had been thinking all this while that with his own resources, hypothecated as they were, hypothecated, he could do nothing. Or if he did, it meant the loss of Hortense. He dared not. And yet what reasonable excuse could he give his mother for not helping her a little, considering especially the clothes he wore and the manner in which he had been running here and there, always giving the excuse of working, but probably not deceiving her as much as he thought. To be sure, only two months before, he had obligated himself to pay her $10 a week more for five weeks and had, but that only proved to her very likely that he had so much extra to give, even though he had tried to make it clear at the time that he was pinching himself to do it. He was not, but very well. We'll let him have his little lie, won't we, audience? Yes, we will. And yet, however much he chose to waver in her favor, he could not, with his desire for Hortense directly confronting him. He went out into the living room after a time, and as usual, his mother at once led the way to one of the benches in the mission, a cheerless, cold room these days. 
I didn't think I'd have to speak to you about this, Clyde, but I don't see any other way out of it. I haven't anyone but you to depend upon now that you're getting to be a man. But you must promise not to tell any of the others, Frank or Julia or your father. I don't want them to know. But Esther's back here in Kansas City and in trouble, and I don't quite know what to do about her. I have so very little money to do with, and your father's not very much of a help to me anymore. She passed a weary, reflective hand. I thought Kesta was still in Kansas City. I didn't understand that she had left. Hmm. I guess she did. And now she's back. And we got a problem. Another problem. She passed a weary, reflective hand across her forehead, and Clyde knew what was coming. His first thought was to pretend that he did not know that Esther was in the city. Oh, I see. Since he'd been pretending this way for so long. But now, suddenly, in the face of his mother's confession and the need of pretended surprise on his part... If he were to keep up the fiction, he said, yes, I know. You know, queried his mother, surprised. Yes, I know, Clyde repeated. I saw you going in that house in Beaudry Street one morning as I was going along there, he announced calmly enough now. And I saw Esther looking out the window afterwards, too, so I went in after you left. How long ago was that, she asked, more to gain time than anything else. Oh, about five or six weeks ago, I think. I've been around to see her a couple times since then. Only Esther didn't want me to say anything about that either. I'm giving you that. It's hard to do it uh, here, especially because my mouth is a little dry, folks. So sorry, you know. And I don't want to get up to get water because I'm invested in the story and there's so much going on. And I didn't take advantage of the break the way I should have. Now I got dry mouth. Maybe you could hear. Maybe my maybe my mouth is all gummy and gross and you're thinking, this is the worst podcast I've ever heard. I don't know. But she went, you know, then you know what the trouble is. Yes, replied Clyde. Well, what is it? Well, what is to be will be. I see. Well, what is to be will be. She said, resignedly. You haven't mentioned it to Frank or Julia, have you? No, replied Clyde thoughtfully, thinking of what a failure his mother had made of her attempt to be secretive. She was no one to deceive anyone or his father either. He thought himself far, far shrewder. Well, are you, you big dummy? Now you spread yourself so thin you got this good job and you don't don't have a penny to your name, you big dummy. Because you're spread so thin and you're wearing your finery and you haven't put any money away. And now you're going to go into hawk for this chick and you got a pregger sister who you could be helping, but you're not. Because you're a real shitheel, Clyde. A real shitheel is what you are. Well, you mustn't, cautioned his mother solemnly, meaning tell anybody. It isn't best for them to know, I think. It's bad enough as it is this way, she added with a kind of wry twist to her mouth. The while Clyde thought of himself and Hortense. And to think, she added after a moment, her eyes filling with a sad, all-enveloping gray mist, she should have brought all of this on herself and on us, and and when we have so little to do with as it is, and after all the instruction she's had, the training, the way of the transgressor, she shook her head and put her two large hands together and gripped them firmly while Clyde stared, thinking of the situation and all that it might mean to him. She sat there, quite reduced and bewildered by her own peculiar part in all this. She had been as deceiving as anyone, really. 
and here was Clyde now, fully informed as to her falsehoods and strategy, and herself looking foolish and untrue. But had she not been trying to save him from all this, him and the others? And he was old enough to understand that now. Yet she now proceeded to explain why, and to say how dreadful she felt it all to be. At the same time, and, as she also explained, now she was compelled to come to him for aid in connection with it. Esther is about to be very sick, she went on, suddenly and stiffly, not being able, or at least willing apparently, to look at Clyde as she said it, and yet determined to be as frank as possible. Oh, I see. Mean, very sick just means she's going to give birth? Is that what that means? Jeez. Because I guess she's assuming nobody knows how this works, and maybe Clyde doesn't exactly. She'll need a doctor very shortly and someone to be with her all the time when I'm not there. I must get money. Well, maybe not. Maybe she needs bed rest. I must get money somewhere, at least $50. You couldn't get me that much in some way from some of your young men friends. Could you just alone for a few weeks? You could pay it back, you know, soon, if you would. You wouldn't need to pay me anything for your Reuben till you had. Well, let's leave it there. Why don't we? She's asking for $50. Esther's about to be very sick. We don't exactly know the nature of her illness, but it's pregnancy-related. And uh, who knows? Maybe maybe she needs bed rest or maybe she just is giving birth. I'm not. It's a little bit unclear to me, but it sounds like, sounds like there's a complication, a wrinkle, a problem, if you will. And we don't know the nature of it yet, but I'm getting a little worried about Esther, getting a little worried about Clyde, not so worried about Hortense and her stupid coat. But Clyde is going to make a bad decision here, I think we know, because, uh, look, it's a simple matter of being a little bit too horny. He's just a little bit too horny. It's going to cost him. So we'll leave it there. We'll pick it up again on another, well, I was going to say apocalyptic, but that seems a little bit too strong, a little ersatz, because now Clyde's going to have to come up with some ersatz solution to this financial problem. We'll pick it up on another ersatz episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedron. We rely on you, the listeners, for support, so please go to patreon.com slash Black, and you will get early access to ad-free episodes and more content from me. That's patreon.com slash Black. See you next time. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 